Next Generation Innovators is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. Hiya, I'm Alicia Stevenson, your host for this episode of Next Generation Innovators, a future women podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. Each week, we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into successful businesses. My guest today is Rowena Leslie, who joins me from Kalgoorlie. In 2013, Rowena and her sister Katrina founded Cairo Contracting. Their company provides a professional civil and mining service to government and industry, whilst also giving back to their local Indigenous community. Rowena, welcome to Next Generation Innovators. Thanks, Alicia. Happy to be here. Can you tell me in your words, and for those that really aren't familiar uh, with your industry, what exactly is it that Cairo Contracting does? We operate in two industries. So we operate in the mining industry and we've started in the last couple of years working in the civils industry. So the mining is what we've been brought up in and we provide mining services to a mine site. What that means in in, um, regular terms is that we don't dig the hole and get the minerals out. We don't process those minerals. We simply provide supporting services around that mine site. So what kind of supporting services? So we provide fuel, which, uh, you know, allows everything to work on site, filling up generators and machinery. That's one of our services. Another one is that we we do supply water to the site. Um, There's multiple tanks and and, uh, services with water. Also providing dust suppression because it gets very dusty out there in mine sites and also a fair bit of waste management. So we'll manage all the waste on site because, you know, you have a lot of people living out there and working out there and especially remote areas, they, they need to be able to manage their landfill. And these are things that, you know, you wouldn't think about, but a mine is really like a little mini town, so to speak, and, and they need to be able to supply all those services I just wanted to catch something you said just now. You said you were brought up in mining. Katrina, my business partner and also my sister, we grew up in Kalgoorlie. It's a mining town, but our family also used mining as a way to survive, I guess, and to be able to use that resource to help us to live. So our great-grandfather used it as a prospector finding gold, and he was very good at it. He was able to buy a house in Kalgoorlie with the money from what he found and, and just taking care of his family. Our grandfather did prospecting and, you know, did a bit of pegging of leases. So that's an exploration side of things. And we got, grew up going out bush and doing that. Our parents also own a similar company to what we do, providing these sort of services to mining. We've run that since the early 90s, uh, an actual contracting company. So, you know, we were very young then when it started, <laughs> you know, little kids sitting around listening to uh, parents and uncles and that talking about what they're going to do and then maybe going along for the ride and helping in some way. And then Katrina started her role in, in working on the books. That's why she manages accounts because she learned from way back then. And when we when we talk about we're in mining, people go, how did you get into it? Well, you know, it, it wasn't an overnight thing. It was a lifetime. But tell me, your parents' company, you guys aren't direct competitors, are you? It, we, we try not to be. We really support one another. And yep. they've, they've been in the game a lot longer than us and they are very supportive of us. There is a lot of work in the mining space, so if we, and especially mining services. They do more uh, earthworks-type services and we're more of these other supporting services, ancillary roles. 
Righto. So it's not like a here comes the new gen style, look out mum and dad. Yeah, no. I see it as their succession plan in a sense because they, they prepared us for what, um, you know, for the next generation really and what to do. No, I, yeah, I think that's been your probably your university education straight from mum and dad. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, without a doubt. You guys probably graduated at the age of 17 or 18, I dare say, uh, fully fledged. And, um, you know, well done, Katrina. She's picked up the books. Good on her because that's always a little bit daunting, I find, in any business. At some point, you had to have your first kind of kickoff discussion or you had to have your first contract or you had to approach your first mining company or get in touch with your first person to have those initial discussions to get those contracts. Can you run me through what that was like and how it went? I was just thinking about, you know, you just talk to one another because, you know, uh, my sister is my best friend. So we just have yarns about what we're doing. And at the time we were bringing up our kids and working with our parents as well. We were looking at how can we um, use our knowledge to be able to support what we want to do, which has always been about helping Aboriginal people get employed and also being able to take care of our family. So it's, it's funny because, you know, business does take a lot of your time, but being able to have that time with our family is really important to us. Well, you can never say that your business takes you away from your family, can you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it was really fun because we just we just kept talking about what, what sort of business could we go into and the opportunity arose where we, we'd heard along the grapevine because you do work in the space that mm. there was a need for a water car. We thought we could do that, you know, just providing a dry hire uh, machinery. Yep. And so we put together a business plan, approached the client that was looking for a water cart, and they agreed. So we were able to supply that. And it was we were very lucky, you know, good timing. It's always good timing, having that knowledge, that pre-knowledge that we have in the in the space. And then I, I just think right place, right time. And that's what really happened for Katrina and I in terms of uh, having that first contract. And it was important that the client trusted us too, because that's a big thing in mining, that trust and that relationship. Is it right to say that a lot of mining is about reputation? Oh, definitely. Definitely reputation. Um, And it's key, you know, building that relationship up and making sure you are known for your integrity. So if a job that you're engaged in, it doesn't, you know, for, for many different reasons, you may not be able to make a profit on it. You know, something may happen in Deject. You do hope for a profit. That's, you know, what you go into business for. If you find yourself making a loss, you've got to be able to still continue to provide that service, whatever it takes, because other people are relying on you. To, and then, you know, there's a flow on effect. Coming to the business itself, you and your sister made some really key decisions, right? So you said that, you know, we sat down, we wrote this business plan, we decided mm. what we wanted to do. Some of the things I believe that were built into that business plan was very much that you wanted to focus on supplying a local Aboriginal workforce. Yeah. And that's one of the really important parts of your business. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? It's inherently a family business yep. where we work in the mining industry, but it's also inherent in our family to support our community. We've been taught to do that from a very early age. We know that when you build up one another, then you can support and make your community stronger. So that's been a real uh, target of ours is to engage Aboriginal people. And the fact that we know 
because we're local, we know a lot of the people around, we know what they're capable of. They might not be able to verbalize it, you know, in, a, in an interview, but we know that they have the ability to be able to fulfill that job um, just because of our existing knowledge and, and relationship. So we can give someone, I guess, who comes in with a very light resume, maybe not a, not a very uh, clean slate, so to speak, and we'll be able to say, look, we can give this person a go and, and support them through that. And then we can see that a change, you know, we're trying to make help make the change in their life as well. So keeping people off that cycle of poverty and yep. then getting into another life to build. We all want to take care of our family and our children. And so that's what we like to um, support. That's the whole point why we focus on Aboriginal people and employing them. And look, I think that's a really important thing to, I guess, bake into the business from the very beginning to decide. And I think for you both, it's very much part of your ethos as human beings, as you say, that we are community minded, that this is, you know, this is how we wanted to do it to support our community. One of the other things that you said about the business too, which really stuck with me, is that you're focused on long term sustainable contracts and mm. and and building those long-term contracts out. I'd be interested in your thoughts on how you can ensure indigenous focused but also sustainable mining. What are some of the things that you've found have worked really well? What are some of the things you found haven't worked so well and aren't sustainable in the industry? And you know, just your general comments because you're really in an amazing position that not a lot of us get or especially not our audience get a really interesting insight into. So it's it's really cool to talk to you just to see what your thoughts are on what elements of mining are and aren't sustainable and how does it maintain that Indigenous focus and how are you doing that within your company? So what we meant with long-term sustainable contracts is as an Aboriginal business, I mean any business really, not just Aboriginal-owned businesses, but every business, you need to have something long-term so you can work towards providing a service over that time and building a relationship with your client. For Aboriginal businesses in particular, it allows for this door to be open. You know, the mining industry is about reputation. You said earlier, but how do you build a reputation if you can't even get in the door or speak to people or make that connection with people? Because they're always going to use people they know. So for Aboriginal businesses, how do we get to know those people in mining without someone taking a risk and saying, right, I'm going to build a relationship with this community and I'm going to get to know them? And I found one of our clients did that really well. And I think that's why they succeed in helping a lot of very successful Aboriginal businesses. They took that risk. They said, look, we're going to build relationships. We don't know them. We're going to build understanding so that we have a knowledge of this community and and then we can judge them on their reputation. You know, we can use them because they've, they've been able to supply that service. I'm really interested in that, Katrina. When you say one of your clients did it really well, what elements of their actions or what elements of their rollout of creating that relationship with their Indigenous-led businesses was the standout for you? They've been involved with the Indigenous community since 1996. Yep. So when they first entered the area, they invested in an individual in their company to make that connection. Mm-hmm. And it was all about that individual actually taking ownership and saying, right, I'm going to go out and meet with the people and get to know them on a personal level. Even last year there was a funeral and we saw them attend. They supply things like that on a very personal level because they've known these people for 20-something years. They're in a really close relationship with them 
and understanding what this community needs. So I find that they've, they've been able to do that. That client has been able to be successful because they made the effort. I wanted to talk to you about working with your sister. And look, I am the younger of two sisters and my older sister doesn't listen to the podcast. So (laughs) I can say this really, really freely without getting into trouble. I could never work with my sister. I come from a very similar tight knit family. I don't know how we would begin to organize (laughs) ourselves around kind of you know, you know what I mean? Just work pressures and delineating responsibility and, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. I think you'd have two bosses in every room, which would never work for anything. But from what I can tell, your focus, Rowena, is sort of operations, yeah. business development, legal. Feel free to tell me if I'm completely wrong here. And as we mentioned mm. before, Katrina's is more the finance and the HR. Yeah. Was that a natural split of responsibilities for you guys? And was it a natural thing? Or were there elements where you, you think, God, if we'd done that a bit better at the beginning or... Yeah, we we fell into those roles pretty easily and it was going towards our strengths. When you work with your family, you got all those other elements that come into it. I think Katrina and I, when we, we come to work, we're very professional. We make it about, you know, making those decisions based on what is best for the business. Any of those sort of things that you would find in a family affair, we, we keep that out. That's way out of the boardroom, so to speak. I think we just have a really unique relationship that we can talk to each other. And the good thing that we have is that we're able to disagree with one another. (laughs) You know, if you can't disagree with your business partner and still hang out with them on Saturday at the park or something with your kids, then makes it for a very uncomfortable office environment. Look, I think every sisterhood ship would agree with you that, you know, the ability to disagree is is something we're born with as sisters. So circling back to Cairo, um, I'm interested in the elements of the business and how the business has grown over the course of a couple of years. When you started out, can you give me an idea of how many staff you had, you know, to what you've graduated into now and, you know, equipment and potentially the amount of minds that you're working with and then where you want to go? So, you know, give me the step by step to the growth of the business. So our business did start with one uh, one truck and it was dry high. So it was just Katrina and I doing work ad hoc whenever it was needed for that service. And then it steadily grew into eight trucks that are on jobs, different jobs at the moment. We have employees, so operators for each of those pieces of machine. Not only are we hiring out machine with operators, but we're also providing being in charge of services, like I said earlier, you know, those services that we provide. So we're in charge of every part of that, having to oversee every bit of that operation on a mine. So right now we've just started at a second mine. So that makes two mines for us. Civils is something uh, we just took up in the last two years. It came about because the more I was door knocking and asking people for work and and it felt like the civil industry was more um, interested in engaging and assisting Aboriginal businesses. Mm -hmm. In our mind, we thought mining, civil, that's that's a very easy sidestep, but it's -hmm. it's not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is that sort of competitiveness in the industries. What we do in civils is we provide a, an operator who has skills in operating a, a specific machine, whether it be a roller or a grader or a water cart, and then we come under a head contractor and then they do road services, whether it's road maintenance or building a new road, constructing a new road for the main roads department. Yeah, so we're growing in that space and it's been just a great environment to work in civils because it is 
very different from mining. Mining, you've, you have the job, it's at that location and you provide that service at that location. That's it. Whereas civils, it can be anywhere at any time for any length or period of time. You're working on that one job and then it's done as a project. And you're also subcontracting to, you know, in, so it's... Yeah. yeah. The good thing is we spoke directly with the head contractor and I think that was the first thing I shared with them is, you know, as a subcontractor, we can't, as a small business, we can't uh, take on too much of the risk because that's usually what happens, you know? Yeah, that's right. All the risk is checked on them and they were understanding. So they, they knew exactly where it was coming from. Again, it's about those relationships, working with people who appreciate what we're doing and also want to help to get there. That's the sort of clients that we prefer to work with. It's not always the case. Most of the time, that's who I'm seeking is people who have that same sort of values, I guess about giving back to the community and being able to build the capabilities of an Aboriginal business. And would I be right in thinking, like, because obviously you do a lot of the BD and as you mentioned, it's you knocking on doors, seeing who, you know, who wants to support the business, but also, you know, where that capacity is. And expanding into civils then is really interesting because it opens up a very, very broad scheme of work, both where you are in Kalgoorlie, but also statewide and then nationally as well. And so am I on the right track? Are you thinking about potentially expanding the business or are you going to keep it localised? What are you thinking? Oh, for the immediate future, I'd like to see our capabilities grow in those two spaces, especially civils, because I think the stronger we get in civils, the more services we can offer mining. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the key there is to be able to also provide our, our main clients more capabilities. In the future, in the, probably in the medium to long-term future, we would like to expand. But there's so much work in the regions that mm. um, we're working hard to keep up. So it's, yeah. yeah, hey, it's a good problem. That's true. But just don't want to um, expand too quickly because we always want to learn at the same time our, our company is growing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With every job that we take on, it's helping us to grow and, and just learning our kinks and something new here and there. And if we grew too quickly, if we try to expand too big, we wouldn't be able to keep up the two of us. Can you give us a bit of an idea of what it's like working around the mines as an Indigenous person, but then especially as a woman as well? Yeah, I think I worked on a mine when I was 18 years old. You know, I took a year off before I went to uni and worked on a mine site and it was you know, it's, it was an amazing experience that I had. It's a real commitment too, you know, that people don't realise you, you wake up early and I love that, you know, you're waking up before the sun, you get to see the day and then you got to go out and um, play your part in a bigger role. Everybody on a mine site is a part of the same team. It, you might be doing your service, whatever that may be, but if there's some way you can help your neighbour, then you, you go out of your way to do that because there's going to be a time when... You're going to need that help as well. But also you want to see that the job get done. Everyone wants to make sure that the job gets done. So just waking up in the morning, I I love that. First thing you do when you get to your crib hut or your office is that you have a morning meeting pre-start with your team. The team leader will discuss what everybody has to do on site, what their job is, if there's any issues to be aware of just within your company, what you're doing your services and then on site if there's anything to be aware of you know like something large coming onto site be aware of that traffic or this is the weather today you know be mindful of a lot of dust because it's going to be very windy or and then you go in for our team members they go and 
pre-start their machinery and then they go out to work and for the next you know 11 12 hours that's what they do and you're communicating with one another pretty much throughout the day to let you know you know where you're up to and for safety reasons to let people know where you're at that's the big thing about mining too is we're a very safe industry always concerned about each other and making sure that uh, we're safe and what of activity we're doing Am I right in assuming that you had quite a good experience even from those early days in mining and haven't really hit too much prejudice because you're Indigenous and because you're a woman or were there things oh. that stood out or all pretty smooth sailing? You know, there, there are things that you have to face. I think any workplace has, has gone through that. Yeah. And uh, a mine site, it, because it, it has been in the past predominantly male uh, industry, it's had to go through those changes of curbing itself to be more aware of the other sex and how we work and, and just being more friendly to the female workforce. And those very early days, I remember things that do not happen now. <laughs> they do not. I've not seen that. And it's evolved a lot in that time. And just listening to other women in mining too, they know exactly what I'm talking about is that at the very start, you really had to have a thick skin. And I think I grew up with that a little yeah. bit. So when I did get, you know, sort of bullied or, or comments made and that, it, it still hurts, but you just withstand it. You're not going to let that stop you from what you're doing. And I think you need that as well in business. That's what I realised in those first early years, that I didn't take those things and I just stood my ground. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after a message from our partner, Aussie Industries Entrepreneurs Program. The Entrepreneurs Program can get you from where you are to where you want to be. Our team of independent business experts can help you bring your ideas and innovations to life. We've got the tools and the networks to get you on the way. And you may be eligible for funding to make it happen. To find out how the Entrepreneurs Program can help you take your business to the next level, visit business.gov.au forward slash EP or call 13 28 46. Welcome back to Next Generation Innovators, where our guest today is Rowena Leslie from Cairo Contracting. What I wanted to do now was to yep. switch across because Aussie Industries Entrepreneurs Program, if you've listened to one episode of the last two seasons, you've heard me say that they're really awesome sponsors yeah. of our podcast, and they are. And Cairo Contracting is actually a client of Aussie Industries Entrepreneurs Program. So I wanted to delve into that a little bit because I'm really interested mm. because each person that we've interviewed that's been through the Entrepreneurs Program has had a different experience, a really positive experience, but a really different experience. So can you give us a bit of background as to how you guys found out about it, uh, how you got involved and what your experience has been like to date? We got involved with them because we're members of the Calgary Boulder Chamber of Commerce and Industry. There's a lady there that is very active in supporting small businesses and she heard about us and got and got to know us a bit more and introduced us to the guys over there at Oz Industries and you have a yarn with them and then they start seeing what you're doing and which was amazing what they did for us. You know, you don't know those supports are out there until someone tells you. And then they just came along and said, oh, do you know about this? Do you know about that? Maybe this program is for you. And it's been really helpful for us. We got some funding at the very start to help with um, building our capabilities in, in terms of governance and a bit more accounting expertise. You can never have too much accounting expertise. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> 
And that was really helpful for us because when you're in a business and, and what we do, you know, getting loans for machinery, you always have to make sure you're letting the bank know and they can see all your books and, and know uh, that you're a viable investment for them. So that was really helpful. They came along and gave us some support there, which I think a lot of businesses would really benefit from that. The other thing was that we have a good coach through those guys. Through the COVID thing, it was a bit hard, but they still kept in contact with us to see how we were traveling through that. Just linking us up with other people as well, I found that really helpful. That that business coach is there and they're giving this outside perspective to you all the time because, you know, when you're in the business, this is all you can see. But yep. from that coach's perspective, they'll say, did you think about this or you know, maybe that isn't the best decision because it's it's leading you away from what your goal, you know, what your, your vision is. So I found that really helpful. I think that would be the best thing I like about <laughs> that. The funding is great and the support is great, but the, the coach is invaluable. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you get your business blinders on, especially mm. as you're growing, because you know, you've only got so much capacity to look at so many different things. And there's also that excitement you get behind growing and that fear that you get behind growing. And I think, you know, mm. to have that coaching there is just brilliant. What do you say has been the best part of the program to date? Probably the business coach? Yeah, I think the business coach. Yeah. She's a very successful woman in her own right. I like the aerial view that she brings in to us and talks very, you know, straight talks. You need people mm. to say that. I don't want yeah. people who are going to tell me all this nice and fluffy thing. I yeah. Want to <laughs> yeah. Wrong. I don't do yeah. that. Like, um, hey, you get in this room and tell me what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and don't worry about hurting my feelings. Um, That's right. Because, you know, I might be hurt, but don't worry. You know, at least I'm hearing a different perspective, different viewpoint on us. And it's really important to be able to take that feedback. Um, no, I agree. Like I earlier, you know, with uh, Katrina hearing her feedback, it's important for me to hear that as well as um, having this uh, external person coming into our business and 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 trusting. You've got to have that trust too to be able to share your most vulnerable situations with them. You can't talk to people in your town or you you know you're in the same industry or anything. So you need someone who's external. And you can talk about money, you know, and you can say this is how this is affecting us here and there and it's all confidential and it's, you know, it just rolls really well. Katrina, we usually end these off where I ask you to provide me one piece of really great advice to other people looking to start or scale up a business. It's a tough question because it's one piece. <laughs> I know it's, I know, but I love it. You know, the kind of quiet silence I get for two seconds yeah. before people answer it. <laughs> I'm laughing to make it go longer. No, um, <laughs> I read this somewhere as well, but I take it as a little mantra in myself. You got to own your failure. It's okay to fail. That doesn't mean that your business is going to fail. You know, you might fail in some project or area, but you got to work through it and learn from those failures, those things, those mistakes that you've made. And that would be my biggest advice I tell people. Don't beat yourself up about it and let that be the, your defining moment if you make a, you know, an error in judgment. You've got to learn from those errors. You've got to learn from those mistakes. For me as an Aboriginal person, I have to say this, that growing up, there are stereotypes about you. You know, you're not as smart or you you're going to lead to a failed life. I remember, you know, some comment from some kid I went to school with that said, why are you still in high school? You should have dropped out already. There's this mentality out there. It sort of makes you put up a wall. For me, it did. And I felt mm. like asking questions or 
making mistakes is really embarrassing. And, and, and for a lot of Aboriginal people, it is. You'll hear that word shame. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but mm. we, we use that like it's a cultural norm. It's not. It really isn't. We're just aware that people are judging us very harshly and therefore we've got these prejudgments. It's hard for us to make a mistake in that environment. And I only became aware of that when I went away on exchange, student exchange. So that means I was taken out of this environment here mm. and being able to see myself, oh, I've set this up for myself thinking I can't do it, but also not feeling that from the people around me. So on student exchange, I went to America and the professors, just what they expected of me, it was amazing. The other students, what I felt in myself being able to do there, I just felt really free, you know. And then yeah. realizing that, you know, that mentality is is something you're brought up with because of the stereotypes and that. So you don't want to ask questions. You're afraid to ask questions. You're afraid to fail, to prove yourself. You're mm. afraid to try things because you're afraid of failure. And that's what we say to our operators too, you know. That's, that's what I like about working with Aboriginal people because they have the ability to do the stuff that we're asking of them as an operator, mm. but they wouldn't tell another worker, you know, they wouldn't say that. But to us, they'll say, I can do that. I have the ability and I can provide that service easily. And then they might do it and they might say, oh, I made a mistake here. But they can say it, you know, and they can own that response. And I'm not going to go, oh, it's because he's Aboriginal, he couldn't do that job, you know. He's going to be able to say, oh, I wasn't able to do that because of X, Y, Z, and I didn't make an error of judgment there. He's free to make that mistake as well, or she, sorry, that, you know, they are able to make that and correct it. And I say, okay, then, well, that's great. You've worked it out. And then they say, but I was able to fix it. That's great. Because they have that space to do that. So everyone, this brings the fifth season of Next Generation Innovators to an end. A big thank you to our partner, Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. Thank you to all of our guests, our beautiful producers, Emily Joyce and Sally Spicer, and our audio producers at Bad Producer Productions, Fancy Films, and a beautiful shout out to JB from Good Shout, you're a legend. And thank you to you, our listeners. This podcast couldn't have happened without you, and please be sure to rate and review and tell a friend if you like, because we will be back very soon with season six of Next Generation Innovators with me again as the host, and I cannot wait to be back in your feed every week. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon.